Although Wickham, the lying womanizing villain of Austen's Pride and Prejudice, preys on much younger women, there's not really space in the original novel for those teenage girls to fight back in any public way. I wanted my modern feminist characters to do all the things that their 1813 counterparts couldn't. And in so doing, honor the Me Too stories being shared by many brave high schoolers, including speech and debate competitors, in an effort to make those spaces more welcoming, equitable, and just. This is a novel that celebrates the power of finding your community and speaking your truth, even when it's scary. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. I'm Sayantani Dasgupta, the author of the Kiran Mala and the Kingdom Beyond series, but here now to talk about my YA debut, Debating Darcy, and welcome to Sylvia and me. Sayantani, thank you so much for joining me. And as you said, Debating Darcy is your debut YA. Your other books are really middle grade, and middle grade would be from 12 down, I believe. Middle grade is about for eight to 12 year olds. Okay. Um, So if you think kind of Percy Jackson, Artemis, all that, it's that age range. But this is really for uh, debating Darcy is aimed at the YA and of course up audience. So 12 and up. Okay. And debating Darcy, it's uh, it's been called a multicultural speech and debate feminist reimagining of Pride and Prejudice. That's exactly uh, right. <laughs> a, a, a couple of things. First, why go into the YA um, genre? Why did you think it was important, or why did you want to go from the middle age, middle grade? into a, an older um, audience? You know, I felt like um, each, I didn't necessarily make the decision of the age range first. Um, I feel like each story has an appropriate audience. And if you're writing kind of an intergalactic romp based on Bengali folktales and string theory, that sort of story lends itself to the eight to 12 year old set. Um, If however, I'm reimagining Austin and I'm reimagining Austin aimed still at young people, um, then I think that lends itself to a YA because Austin is as much about kind of romance and the marriage plot for adults as it is about kind of wit and banter and debate. And, you know, you can't really have a story that centers romance um, for anything younger than the YA audience. And so the story itself kind of called to the audience. Okay. And in particular, um, if you let me, I'm going to, uh, at the very beginning of the book, you have uh, a little note, dear reader. And you know what? You have the book in front of you. I do indeed. Okay. Do me a favor, please. And if you could read that, the dear reader, because I think that kind of encapsulates what this is all about and what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. I'd be delighted. So 
Uh, imagine listeners, uh, Julie Andrews is reading this lady whistle down, not me, but <laughs> it's an act of imagination. All right. I would have, dear reader, if I was Julie Andrews, um, no, 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 I'll say it in my own voice. Dear reader, it is a truth universally acknowledged that Pride and Prejudice's Lizzie and Darcy are among the most iconic examples of enemies to lovers couples. In Austen's original 1813 novel, the pair bicker, fight, and debate their way into falling in love. So it made perfect sense to me to set my modern reimagining in the ultra competitive world of high school speech and debate tournaments. I am a huge Austin head. I've read Pride and Prejudice umpteen times and seen every possible stage, TV and movie adaptation. Maybe my love of Jane Austen comes from my being a daughter of Indian immigrants. There's certainly a lot of similarities between the way that Austen characters obsess over eligible matches and the central role of marriage in many Desi communities. Yet, although Leela and Darcy, the protagonists of my novel, are both South Asian Americans, that's not my central impulse for writing this story. The themes of pride and prejudice I wanted to explore include the class conflict between private school Darcy and public school Leela, the importance of being willing to change your mind about someone and not give in to prejudice, as well as toxic masculinity and sexism. Although Wickham, the lying womanizing villain of Austin's Pride and Prejudice, preys on much younger women, there's not really space in the original novel for those teenage girls to fight back in any public way. I wanted my modern feminist characters to do all the things that their 1813 counterparts couldn't, and in so doing, honor the Me Too stories being shared by many brave high schoolers, including speech and debate competitors, in an effort to make those spaces more welcoming, equitable, and just. This is a novel that celebrates the power of finding your community and speaking your truth, even when it's scary. It's a novel about knowing we are all worthy of taking up space in the world. In between the wit and banter, the complex debate topics and funny musical theater references, it's ultimately a story about justice and honor, friendship and love. So dear reader, whether you have, like me, read and watched versions of Pride and Prejudice a zillion times, or never really heard of it until now, I hope you find power, laughter, courage, and joy in these pages. Words matter. Art matters. Debating the issues that affect our lives matters. Your voice matters. You matter. And love in all its beautiful romantic and non-romantic derivations matters most of all. Love, Sayantani. And that encompasses so much. We talk about love, we talk about conflict, we talk about voice and using your voice and having a voice. Um, the Me Too movement, the you know, the, the, the class differences. In the first chapter, there's an actual scuffle between your two uh, main protagonists. Uh, and, and it's really comes out, it's a topic of, of beauty. Uh, 
Tell us a little bit about what you were looking to accomplish right at the beginning. Well, you know, in the original Pride and Prejudice, Darcy and Lizzie keep meeting at balls, dances. And obviously in 2022, high schoolers are not going to too many balls, maybe the prom, but that's about it. Um, So each of those meetings um, and each of those times that my characters get to have a first impression of one another, one of the original titles of Pride and Prejudice, um, is at a speech and debate competition. And um, the first time they meet, Leela and her family of slightly chaotic speech and debate teammates, public school speech and debate teammates, are clowning around. They're on a table. They're singing songs. Um, and Darcy says something really cutting to them. He kind of, you know, puts them down. And then later, he says something that parallels what Darcy tells Lizzie in Pride and Prejudice. So in the original Pride and Prejudice, Lizzie's first impression of Darcy is that he's very handsome, but arrogant. Um, But then he insults her and she overhears him insulting her. He says, you know, his friend is urging him, hey, Darcy, why don't you dance with that pretty girl? And Darcy says, oh, she's not handsome enough to tempt me. And so I wanted to kind of recreate the pain of, you know, a young woman hearing that, overhearing that, um, with Leela overhearing Darcy saying, in my novel, saying something very similar. But Leela Bose isn't Lizzie Bennet. Um, Her life circumstances are different. She's an immigrant daughter. She's Bengali American. She's a dark-skinned woman. And so Darcy's comment hits her at a very vulnerable space. Um, And it's a space informed by not just regular old beauty standards, which it is, but also by kind of racist messaging she's gotten since she was little, that maybe she's not pretty enough, she's not good enough, Um, girls like her don't get to be the love interest, girls like her don't get to be the swan princess, right, that kind of messaging um, from the outside world. And then it also hits the spot of colorism, so it hits the spot of her own immigrant community saying, you know, really painful things, things that I've heard myself, like, oh, she's so pretty for a dark girl, or like, too bad, you know, she's so dark. Um, And so, although I'm paralleling the same things from the original Pride and Prejudice, the fact that these characters have different life experiences makes that comment kind of resonate differently. And so that's what I was really going for in that first scene. Well, in in, in today's world, that resonates. I mean, we we've, we've that has come to the forefront even more so during the last couple of years with the pandemic. When you were writing this, did you take any of that into account as it was being as we were going through what we've you know gone through, and so much has come out of the woodwork, so to speak? Well, you know, I I wrote Debating Darcy that really difficult winter of 2020, like before there were vaccines and we were all still isolated. Um, And I ended up writing it because it was the comforting novel I needed to read. Um, I wanted to go back to a beloved novel. Like I said, Austin is a favorite, Um, but I wanted to insert myself you know, I wanted to insert somebody like myself into this beloved tale. Um, so 
in that way, the pandemic framed it. But certainly, I think you're talking about kind of the um, national crisis of kind of racial injustice that we've, you know, all it's always been there, but it's kind of come to the forefront of our collective consciousness in some way. Um, perhaps that was under the surface there informing uh, my understanding. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, uh, Sylvia, that growing up as immigrant daughters, a dark-skinned um, girl in this country, unfortunately, kind of racial injustice wasn't something that I was hidden from, but wasn't something that was hidden from me, right? It was something that I had to experience growing up um, through kind of microaggressions, like kids rubbing my skin in the playground saying, oh, you know, does your tan come off? Or um, kind of comments about my background, like, oh, you know, when the Indian, that second Indiana Jones movie came out, like, oh, you know, your family's so gross, they must eat monkeys or, you know, whatever, that kind of stereotypical stuff. Um, to macroaggressions, like we grew up in a community where we got tar in our mailbox. Um, so there was definitely um, the impact of kind of racial injustice. Um, certainly, you know, I was spared a lot of things, but I definitely was impacted by it even growing up. Well, I know that one of the things that you've said is um, you used to make trips back to India. And one of the things, and you were a bookworm, but all the books that you were reading when you were living in Ohio were not, did not reflect you. Um, but when you traveled to India, your grandmother used to tell you stories and uh, folklore. And it was different because the characters looked like you and you say how when you became a mother and your son uh, was about eight or nine, he was a huge Harry Potter fan. And that's kind of and, and he was into the kingdoms and so on and so forth. But again, that's kind of when you realized there was a um, an open for you to start writing. Absolutely. You know, representation matters. It really matters, Sylvia. And um, it makes a difference on kids' lives. Um, I think representation in that mirror function is Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop, who's a uh, professor emeritus from Ohio State University. She has this beautiful essay called Mirrors, Windows, and Sliding Glass Doors. And she says, books can function like mirrors. You can, they can reflect yourself and your family to, back to you. They can function like windows. They can provide insight into other people's lives. And if the glass is really clear and if the story is really, you know, vibrant, um, they can function like sliding glass doors into other worlds. Um, so representation, I think, matters both for the mirror function, both so that kids can see people who look like themselves centered and celebrated, um, but also for the window function so that kids can see their neighbors and friends and community members celebrated and centered. And, you know, the shocking thing to me um, as somebody who wasn't a children's writer at first was that the same struggle I faced 30 years previous was the same one my children are facing, you know, 30 plus years beyond, which is hey, I love these stories. They're wonderful. I'm a bookworm. I'm delighted to read all of them. 
But I'd also like to read some stories with kids like me or, you know, a diverse set of kids in them. Where are they? And um, that was when I grew really frustrated when my own children were saying things that I had felt. And I knew how detrimental that feeling had been to me as a young person. I didn't have any, any analysis. I just thought, well, gee, there are no heroes who look like me in books. Maybe somebody like me doesn't deserve to be a hero. And that was kind of a, you know, narrative erasure is a psychic violence. Um, and so I just, I didn't want, you know, my own children to have that experience. Luckily, things are changing slowly. Um, but certainly that's why I started writing for children, because I just want all of our kids to be celebrated, all our young people to be centered and celebrated, um, not just some, all of them. And that's good for all of us. It definitely is good for all of us. Um, you know, uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but all of a sudden, all these books that are being banned for some ridiculous reasons I'm sorry. I, it just makes me so angry. Um, and troubled, and like stories troubled. save lives. Stories save, like, what are we saying to those kids? What are we saying? Well, you're doing a great job in, in putting out their um, books for people like you. Um, there are books for people like me, but they're books, so everyone gets to read them. Exactly. It's a diverse collection, and that's the whole idea. We're a diverse country. We need to be able to have representation. And, and that's I good love, for all of us. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Taking something like Pride and Prejudice and rewriting in a, a different manner, but keeping some of the same basics of the story there and bringing it to the, the present is, is something that is wonderful and you've done it in such a great way. So tell us, Leela, you know, she was a great speech competitor, and now all of a sudden she is going to debate Darcy um, because, and she's, she, in her mind, she's going to win this debate. How is that struggle? You know, what, how does she uh, grow? Where do you, how did you take her from being that, oh, I'm going to get back at him. I'm great at this. How, how do you take her from that to, you know, she's got a good competitor there. Um, yes, he came from private school. She's in a public school. He might have had some additional help that she has support that she couldn't uh, get due to money, maybe. But how does she grow? How do you have her grow? And why do you have her grow in the way that she does? I think imperfect character is the most interesting, don't you? Um, right. It's it's boring to read about somebody who's perfect, who doesn't, <laughs> who gets it all right all the time, right? None of us are perfect. And I think it's fun um, to write imperfect characters. And so Leela's a little bit hot-headed. She's a little bit judgmental. She's a little bit quick to the draw, um, which my own children have said to me, sounds a little bit like me. So perhaps <laughs> I was reflecting 
something that I've been working on. Um, but certainly they were laughing at me. They were like, mom, do you not see that? I was like, no, she's fictional. She's not me. Um, but you know, she's a little bit like Lizzie Bennett, which is quick to judge this arrogant guy as wholly bad, right? She overhears him saying this insulting thing about her and she's hurt. And rather than wondering like, oh, maybe he was saying that because his friend was giving him a hard time. Maybe he didn't really mean it um, or, you know, what have you. She takes it to heart and she acts on those hurt feelings. And she says, I'm going to not just, you know, Leela says, I'm not, not just going to, you know, switch categories, learn how to debate in my junior year, like do something totally different. I'm going to humiliate this guy. I'm going to put him down. I'm going to like smash him in the dirt, what have you. Um, her motivation is entirely vengeance, which is not great motivation <laughs> for any of us. <laughs> um, and But over the course of the book, she gets to know Feroz Darcy, who's the, you know, the boy in this book. Um, and in getting to know him, I think she gets to know herself better and vice versa. And I think those are the best romances when in knowing somebody else, you actually get to see yourself more clearly. And um, she becomes a little bit more forgiving. She becomes a little bit more clear on what things deserve a second chance like Feroz, maybe he deserves a second chance. And what things don't, what things are worth standing up for with your community and saying, hey, wait a minute, this is wrong. Um, and that's kind of the Me Too moment that happens in the book. But you got to distinguish between which one's which. And I think in the beginning of the book, Leela has it wrong, right? She has it wrong. She's judging her teammate Lydia for being rambunctious or wearing spaghetti straps, like whatever it is. Um, and she's judging Feroz really harshly. And I think by the end of the book, she figures out that both of these characters are wonderful friends with great things to teach her about herself. And she ends up really falling in like, at least with both of them, and perhaps even in love with Feroz. One of the things that you've said is it's important to find people who can help you become a better version of yourself. Absolutely. And, and that is so true. And also making room for love, being able to allow yourself to do that. So those two things really come together. Absolutely. Don't you think like as adults, I think maybe we've learned, but maybe as high schoolers, we didn't know that um, making room for love is also making room for human foibles. Like nobody's perfect. You can't expect somebody to be perfect, like a matinee idol sort of a thing. People are imperfect. So are we. So we figure it out together. Well, I love what you have, the, the little, um, whether it be a mission statement or a little uh, on the book. And uh, I can say pride versus persistence. Tell us how you see that. Well, the original title, of course, of Jane Austen's novel is Pride and Prejudice. And as we read that original novel, we keep thinking, oh, is it wealthy Darcy who's prideful? Is it Elizabeth who's prejudiced? Or is it the other way around? Is it that Darcy has hurt her pride and he's, you know, kind of fixed in his opinions and prejudice? So that's um, the original title. In this one, definitely both Leela and Darcy are proud. They're not willing in the beginning to admit that they're wrong. Um, Leela 
more so even than Darcy, who's actually kind of shy. Um, and persistence to me is kind of a nod to um, the she persisted, you know, sort of idea. This book, as much as it celebrates love and wit and humor and froth, and it does, you know, I love all the, I love a happily ever after. Don't get me wrong. Um, I am a big proponent of happily ever afters. Um, but that said, it's also a book about young women coming together, finding their voices, speaking up against injustice, um, and realizing that their power comes in, yes, finding their individual voices, but also in kind of finding a collective voice and supporting one another. And Leela realizing, hey, I can't knock Lydia for, you know, just being a strong, outspoken young woman. You know, that's ridiculous. I have to stand beside her and support her. Um, and so that's where the persistence came from. It's, it's that kind of she persisted idea. I love it. And you worked actually um, on one of the She Persisted um, with Chelsea Clinton. I did. So I wrote um, this little biography of Virginia Apgar, who is, uh, you know, the physician who came up with the Apgar scores. Um, and it's a part of uh, Chelsea Clinton's, she, it's, or it's based on Chelsea Clinton's She Persisted picture books. And then, um, you know, Chelsea Clinton then, um, has this whole like little biography series. She's a huge Pride and Prejudice fan, just like I am. <laughs> so we discovered this when I was uh, doing some publicity with her for Virginia Apgar and we were chatting and we went off on a tangent of like, which movie's better? And she told me, no, 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 I've seen the 1995 Pride and Prejudice more than you have. And I was like, no way, I've seen it more than you have. That's fantastic. And, you know, you were talking about uh, persistence and, and also realizing that um, the power with, you know, with women is actually working together. It's it, you can empower yourself and then working together. And it reminds me of a, um, a quote, and I might not say it exactly, that the late Madeline Albright said that there's a special place in hell for women who don't support other women. And it, it's, it's so true. Um, it's, it's necessary. And the way you've written this really brings that right to the, to, to the front. It really brings it right up front. And she persisted, yes, and that's what we're doing you know, every single day. Uh, we are persisting and moving on and moving on and hopefully our truth. that's yeah. right. Yeah. And hopefully Boys. making room for younger women to do well, that, that as well. That's yeah. just it. And that's why I think what you've done in Debating Darcy is a book that is really something that young people should read. Um, and not just young people, but the people who loved Pride and Prejudice you know, take another look. I know a lot of people are not into change, but this isn't a question of remaking. It's kind of bringing, just bringing it to one new generation and, and making it relevant in today's world where some of the young people might not read Pride and Prejudice because unless they're told they need to read it in school, they're not going to pick it up because eh, it's an old story. You've given them a chance now to actually take that one step further and maybe want to read the original. 
Um, I hope so. I hope so. Because, you know, as I said, I love Jane Austen. I think she's so funny and she is a genius at using humor to do social critique. And um, I think if I can give young people a new entryway um, into that original story, I'd be delighted if they can you know, it's not a question of either or it's and. No, no. And that's it. And you you make a point of it because you say, as you read, that was your favorite book. And you've seen the 1995 movie more than anyone else. More than Chelsea Clinton. (laughs) More than Chelsea Clinton. (laughs) So, Scientani, what would you, you know, I was going to ask you, what would you like to tell young people, I think you've already said it, but go ahead and, and, and give one short sentence as to what they should take away from this. Well, you know, I think your voice matters. Speak about the things that matter to you. Speak out about the things that need to be said. And we older folks, hopefully, um, will open up our ears and our hearts and listen because there's nothing more powerful um, than young people, I think. Nothing more powerful than young people um, because we, we need them um, to face all the challenges in this world. So that's my message to young people. And I think my message to storytellers is um, a quote from my Kieran Mala series. And it's um, the father in the Kieran Mala series tells his daughter this. He says, we human beings may not be powerful or magical, but the stories we tell our children can be. And that's, that's my message to all, like the parents and the storytellers out there. We may not be powerful or magical, but the stories we tell or share with our children can be. And we need to tell the stories and we need to share them. And that's the, that's the thing. We have a voice. We need to use it. Where can people find out more about you? At scientanidasgupta.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Scientani16 and on Instagram at Scientani Dasgupta Books. But of course, all my books, um, except for the um, Virginia Apgar book, are published through Scholastic. So you can also go to the scholastic.com website. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a, a, a great conversation. Oh, Sylvia, it's been such a pleasure and a delight. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please share it with another person you think would be interested. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. This has been a Life of Prey production.